We are all born with a purpose, yet identifying what that is can be very challenging. It can be even more challenging to find purpose in your business. So, is it possible to find purpose in your business and make profit at the same time? Not only is it possible, but a business led by purpose can be even more profitable than one that is simply led by profit. Join Robert Fukui as he explores how to be purpose-led and profitable while making a positive impact in your community. Hi, this is Robert Fukui, your host of the Purpose and Profitability Podcast, where we believe that having a profitable, purpose-led business can lead to community transformation. Today's topic is your mission as your brand, and I'm so excited and privileged to have as our guest today, Tom Mears, who is the chairman of Holland Incorporated and Burgerville USA. And so for those of you listening in the Pacific Northwest, you're probably familiar with Burgerville, either by experience or at least heard the name or seen the name. Uh, certainly an iconic burger franchise in the Northwest with uh, 42 locations. Is that right, Tom? Yes. And I haven't had the privilege yet to experience Burgerville, but the next time I'm in Portland, definitely I'm going to hit that up for sure. And so while Burgerville is known for great burgers, the essence of their brand really is what I feel is built around their mission statement, Serve With Love. And Tom just put out a book with that very title, Serve With Love, and available on Amazon. And so certainly look that up. Um, today, we want to talk a little, unpack that mission statement a little bit and um, from Tom. And so, Tom, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Uh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Go ahead. Okay. I've gotten to know Tom over the last year because we both serve on the board of Nehemiah Project, which happens to be the sponsor of this podcast. Um, Tom's definitely a very accomplished person, both um, professionally and personally, um, with, with kids and a lovely wife that I got to meet a couple weeks ago. And, um, you know, very, very humble man as well. It seems like he listens more than he speaks, which is... Uh, which is a great sign because when he speaks, man, something really good comes out. So you better listen when he talks. And so certainly a man of humility, but uh, very accomplished in his own right. So Tom, I'm really grateful that you took the time out um, to, to join us on the podcast. My pleasure. So Tom, give us a little background about Burgerville in general. How did, how did that start? Well, background on Burgerville. Just to give you a little background, uh, basically, I, we look at the company, uh, our company, as being 100 years old already. We do that because uh, uh, we go back three generations. I consider myself third generation owner of the company, and okay. we're now moving into the fourth generation. Yeah, I think it's unusual for companies to be able to, yeah. to do that. And it was a family company. And we, we were started by a Dutchman who uh, uh, moved over here from the Netherlands. And he moved over here, and I, oh, I, I think around 1912 or something like that. And he moved to uh, Chicago, and then from there he moved over to out uh, here to the Portland, Vancouver area. And uh, he started a business, and it was a creamery business where he he uh, uh, bought milk from all the local farmers in the area, and then he made it into ice cream and cottage cheese and sold it to the local grocery stores in those days. And it was it was successful, and it grew. And then he got his uh, son involved. Uh, his son George Brotcher, uh, uh is my father. Was he's he's passed away, but he's my father-in-law. And uh, and George, I went to work for his dad and expanded the business. He said, "Look, we've got this uh, this ice cream business. Why don't we? And we got the room. Let's put a counter out front. And we'll make it into a." Uh, into a little uh, ice creamery, and that little ice creamery became a, 
a restaurant called the Hall and Restaurant. And for years, it was a very popular place in Vancouver, Washington, for uh, for people to gather and over coffee, and lots of deals were done and all that stuff with the local business uh, people meeting there. And uh, and then George uh, uh, got active in the Restaurant Association, became the president of the Washington Restaurant Association, and did a lot of trips back to Chicago for the restaurant conventions back there every year. And that's where he heard about this little company called McDonald's. He, he heard about them. He said, oh, that's a great concept. Maybe we could do something like that in the Portland area. And he also met another gentleman from Salem, Oregon, uh, Bob Corey, who uh, uh, was back there also. Bob Corey had started a little chain called Bob's Hamburgers down in the Salem area. And, and they were coming back on the train together, and Bob says to him, well, uh, George, if you you want to start the hamburger business up uh, in the Portland, Vancouver area, uh, you, you're welcome to use my plans. And so George said, okay. So Bob Corey's plans became the, the beginning of Burgerville, and that oh. was in 1961. Wow. Well, I love, I love how that um, everything kind of just kind of um, just kind of morphed into one thing became another, just taking advantage of additional counter space or additional floor space to get people to come in. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, it's all <laughs> it goes into a burger train. And the one thing I love about this is a family business. And you talk about moving into the fourth generation and you're right that very few, um, few family-run businesses or family businesses in general last into the fourth generation. So I know statistically, I think it's 3% of all business last into the fourth generation. So you're in um you're in elite company. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hope we can survive. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you will. I mean, it's definitely got a lot of good, a lot of good bones, and got good, great leadership. So I'm sure it will survive well past yeah. the fourth generation. So, what was your background before um, starting in Burgerville? Well, uh, yeah, Robert, you've read the books, so you know a little bit about <laughs> yeah. me. Uh, Kathy and I uh, were high school or junior high sweethearts. Kathy was George's daughter, one daughter and two sons. And and uh, she started chasing my twin brother. And, and uh, <laughs> I love that. With her and, but he had a girlfriend. And so then she found out that there was a twin across the hall. And all of a sudden, uh, the girls were letting me know that somebody was interested in me. And so <laughs> we started dating and they dated all the way through high school and and uh, actually all the way, and then through college, and then we got married. But I knew at the age of 16 that she was the girl I wanted to marry. Which wow. was, yeah, kind of special. And, I can, and oh. you can, if you read the book, you'll hear about that. Oh. But anyway, uh, so, yeah, we graduated from high school in uh, 1959. Kathy went up to University of Washington. Uh, I stayed home for a year. Uh, and went to uh, the community college, and then I convinced my parents that I needed to be up the UW because she was up there dating all these fraternity guys. And I <laughs> to <make> sure. <laughs> so I did. I got up there, and uh, it took me another additional year to graduate, having done that. But we uh, we dated through college, and then this, uh, when she graduated, uh, I had one more year left. And but we got married that summer, and uh, and uh, now we've been married. Oh, oh, let's see, that was 1963. So what is that? Almost uh, 54 years oh, yeah. going on. I think wow. 53 going on. But wow, congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> and and during that time, uh, there are different times going through that process that I worked for her dad uh, at the Holland Restaurant, doing different jobs and stuff uh, in high school and beyond. 
And then uh, after we graduated, I went. To, we went to California, down to the Bay Area, and I worked uh, for Del Monte. And ended up being a computer programmer for them. Kathy taught school down there, and uh, and then George he'd fly down to visit us, and he finally said, "Look, I'm getting ready to open another uh, Burgerville now. We've got had three. And he says that this will be the first one in Portland, and uh, uh, really liked to have you come up and and, uh, and manage that for us." And Kathy was pregnant with our daughter, and we said, "Wow, that's a good way to get back home." So we did <laughs> it. So we opened uh, the first Burgerville in Portland. Um, on 82nd and Gleason uh, in 1966. Oh wow! 67. 1967. Wow. wow. That's how I got into the business. That's, that was 50 <laughs> years ago. So yeah, and yeah. That, that's uh, yeah, because that's that's my birthday. It's 1967. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Hey, you're old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> when you say 67, I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm 50. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I say about my daughter. <laughs> daughter fifty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you've um, certainly had a a background, professional background before working for Burgerville, and you've and you worked through the years even before you started. I mean, before you came back to, to open up the Portland store. So you had a lot of different experiences as well. Once you're in Burgerville, some of the challenges, even either while you were working in Burgerville or even before that, that you felt. Um, prepared you for your role to eventually become CEO and president of the company? Well, uh, the challenges were, uh, in, in those days, back in those days when, when you worked in the restaurant business, uh, you worked long and hard hours. Uh, so when I went to work for Kathy's dad and uh, opened my restaurant in Portland, I had full responsibility for hiring the crew, training the crew, opening the restaurant, and I had no additional uh, managers. It was just me. So I worked from uh, probably about 7 a.m. in the morning till about uh, midnight, seven days a week for, for a long time. As I got my restaurant going, as I trained my crew, uh, and to the points where I could finally start backing off a little bit. Uh, uh, and fortunately, my wife, had grown up in the business, so she, Kathy, knew what to expect, and so uh, she was t- home with our uh, newborn daughter and uh, opening the running the restaurant. Um, and I don't even remember how long, but finally I was able to get it to a point where I was able to you know get home earlier and spend a little more time at home, and and I finally got to the point where I could even take a day off. <laughs> and uh, hey, there's a, there's a novelty. <laughs> yeah. For many years, I worked six days a week, and I felt guilty if I didn't. When I finally went to five days a week, but that was, I would say that was probably after 15 plus maybe 20 years working wow. in the restaurant business. But that, wow. that was what we did in those days. So it was not necessarily easy, but yeah. it, and it was challenging. Yeah. Uh, and then as we grew the company, uh, and then... Uh, I got to take on more responsibility and manage maybe two restaurants and then maybe uh, three restaurants. And uh, over time, uh, we created positions that we called area managers where you manage uh, mm-hmm. uh, restaurants mm-hmm. in an area. And mm-hmm. So I continued to grow and, exp- and get the experiences of that. And, and really no official training 
And so I had to create it all. I mean, with help, but I created our whole system of you know, how, to, how things needed to be done in our restaurants. And okay. it was a book that became about, I don't know, you can't see me, or you can see me, but our people can, but it, it came about that big. So about, okay. <laughs> it looks like about six inches there. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> everything, everything you need to know about running a burger mill. All right. <laughs> so, so, so how did you go? Because it, it seemed to be uh, challenging just when you were just operating the one store. It seemed to be challenging to just take it to just works just six days a week and then eventually five days a week. So how were you able to then handle additional responsibility to, to manage the second and third and eventually, you know, the burger filled franchise, how were you able to do that and not drive yourself crazy? Well, number one, you had to hire, you, you know, you had to hire good people. And by that time I wasn't having to do all, you know, all the training in these restaurants. We had a, a training department and we were putting, you know, we were putting the place, things in the place that you need to have to be a, a successful company going forward. So there was support yeah. there. And, by then, we had created different levels of positions within the company, uh, from yeah. a marketing to you know a lot stronger, more powerful system of uh, financial uh, taking care of everything, and uh, whether it be your accounting or whatever. So, uh, as we grew, we just we we added on things and added people, and and uh, often running we were. Uh, meanwhile, for a long time, we we didn't have a whole lot of competition in the area. Uh, but eventually, everybody came. Everybody came. <laughs> yeah. Well, everybody likes to copy success. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> obviously, I meant you were successful if uh, everybody starts coming in. So sound like you brought in the right personnel to take off that load because, you know, before that, when you're just operating in one store, you're pretty much doing almost everything. Yeah, um, exactly. Then it was a matter of bringing in the right personnel to take off a lot of that pressure, right? So you can actually grow the business into a franchise. Yeah, then we created some ways to have our GMs participate in the the growth of our company for a while, and that we had a system in place that gave them a chance to, to share in the profits of their restaurant. And uh, then, as we grew more in the profits of the other restaurants, we split it fifty fifty between our mm. our general managers and our and the company. And okay. that worked really well for quite a while, uh, but we finally gave up that system and. Uh, and in that process, uh, to end that system, uh, then we were up to, uh, I think, about 20 restaurants. Uh, what I, I came up with a way to do that. And so to buy back their interest in the restaurants they had, we gave them stock in our company. So all of a sudden now we had a whole, digital, a whole bunch of new people that uh, actually had uh, a percentage interest in the, uh, the company. We were, uh, well, we weren't an S-Corp yet. We were a C-Corp still. But, okay. uh, so it's almost like you promoted them in a sense because th- before they were just, they had um, ownership interest in one store, right? And now you moved it into their stockholders now of the company. Yeah. So what happened? You know, then we had to be very uh, much more uh, official. We'd have to have our annual stockholder meetings in our we have all the uh, stockers with their uh, spouses and a big meeting have dinner and we talk about the financials and everything about the company and uh, that worked pretty well for quite a while. Wow, great. That's great. And every every leadership, like I've, you know, the companies I've worked for have been around 100, 100 plus years, so you always have new leadership coming into play. And yeah. there always seems to be a defining moment for every leadership. <laughs> every leader, every new CEO, every every president. So 
tell me, I don't know if it was just one or maybe there's multiple, but what was one of the, what you feel was one of the turning points or defining moment during your tenure as, as leader of the, of the Burgerfeld franchise? Well, uh, <laughs> I, there are a couple, I guess. Number, I guess number one would be uh, by 1982, one of our board meetings, George announced that he was making me CEO. Mm. And I got, and I, I was unexpected. So he didn't tell you ahead of time? No. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> and, uh, and we had, you know, we had other executives that were, you know, VPs and stuff in the company that are marketing and different departments that we had. But so he, he made me a, a CEO, which was sort of a big deal. But yeah, <laughs> yeah this, it is a big deal. That sort of. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, nothing changed in the company. Uh, and for the next 10 years, um, even though I was a CEO by title, George still ran the company. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when I would come into the office in the morning and walk by his office door, he'd look up at me and wiggle his little finger at me and say, come here, Tom, I've got to talk to you. So, <laughs> you know, yes, sir. <laughs> so that went on for 10 years, and then he retired uh, in 1992. And I'm the guy that put together a program of uh, how to buy him out. I figured out a way we could do that. We went to the bank and got the bank. We, we did a lot of our expansion uh, by borrowing money from the bank and building burger bills. And the, the property that we owned became what we used as uh, collateral. So, uh, and that worked out pretty darn good. But uh, uh, so we still, we had quite a bit of debt already, but we had paid it down quite a a bit. And they were willing to give us a loan of, well, I think it was about $9 million that we borrowed from them and uh, paid to George, which was a a lot of money. And, and, and that wasn't the value of the company, but it was the it was how much the the banks felt comfortable um, loaning to us, mm-hmm. uh, and we had a good history there, so they were willing to do that, and we had the collateral to back it up. So um, and I so I presented that to to our uh, to George, and George looked at it, and he says, "Well, it's worth a lot more, but I'll accept it." Mm, wow. <laughs> So, so that's what we did, and uh, wow. in '92 uh, we did the deal and had a big party for George, and and closed all the restaurants and had everybody come to a part, uh, <laughs> big party at the uh, Coliseum over at Portland, and uh, then George walked out the door never to return. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Into the sunset. <laughs> <laughs> so that was when you really, I guess, took over the helm of the, the organization. Yeah, was when right. you were able to buy him out. Yeah, because yeah. otherwise he might still be around, huh? <laughs> almost, <laughs> almost, not yeah. quite, but yeah. Oh, he's still here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. how did that? So, when did the the current mission statement come about? Well, about that time when when we made the transition of ownership, uh, we recognized that competition was really getting tough, and our sales. Uh, and guest counts were slightly going down year over year. Not a whole lot, but they were going in the wrong direction. and They weren't mm-hmm. going up. Yeah. And so at that time, we were fortunately, I mean, it's always neat how things work out. Yeah. But fortunately, we were approached by a couple of gentlemen who believed in and how to be mission-led company. And we agreed to go to work with them. And they, so they went to work with us. And lo and behold, that was like 
probably a night around 1989, we started that. And lo and behold, we're still working with them today. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, and so the, they had a, a really great process for uh, around the idea that you have to have the right mission and then you have to let the mission lead. Everything you do has to be coming from mission. And uh, so you have to kind of surrender yourself to your mission. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. An important aspect of it. So that's what we did. And we started off with uh, our first mission when George was there was uh, meet our guest expectations. And to him, that was absolutely the, uh, the best mission any company could have. <laughs> and it meant a lot. So that meant everything that we did had to meet our guest expectations. And it was, I mean, things as simple as if, you come, if you're a single coming into our restaurant and sitting at a table by yourself, it was our, we had to make sure you had a newspaper to read. And if we didn't <laughs> have to give you a newspaper to read and George found out about it, he was on our case. <laughs> little details like that. I mean, the cleanliness of the restaurant, the quality of the food, all those things were, became, I mean, were always uh, really important to George and important to us. And so that's how we started becoming a mission-led company. We went through several iterations of, of our missions. I'll just, I won't go through all of them, but when George uh, retired in 92, I had to sort of one-up him a little bit. So <laughs> I changed it to meet our guest expectations to exceed our guest expectations. <laughs> Plus one, right? Yeah, plus one, yeah. 2.0, yeah. Yeah, so we continued down that road for a while. And then it just didn't seem like it was enough. And we, we went through several iterations of missions. Uh, uh, one of them was have fun, be the best, n- no compromise. And that, that sort of got us in trouble. <laughs> yeah. yeah, people are going to have to read the book on that one. That's a good story. We sit sitting around just about, I think it was four of, the, of us in the executive team and our two coaches and our marketing director, she says, what if our mission were served with love? And the, the four of us just went, you know, our jaws drop. Wow, that is powerful. I like that. <laughs> and the, uh, and uh, our, our coaches, they, they looked at us and said, that's not a good mission. No, no, businesses don't have missions like service. <laughs> shouldn't do that. And, and we said, oh, yeah, but we like it. So they, they tried to talk us out of it. But um, I want to back up a little bit because in, in the work that we did with the with uh, these two gentlemen, those Barnett Cuts, uh, and then they took us to a point where they felt uh, that we were getting in over their head. And as as coaches, coaches, as you know, have coaches who have coaches. Who have coaches. <laughs> yeah, everybody's got a coach. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so they uh, introduced us to their coaches, which uh, was an organization over in Portland called Taylor Group. And uh, so we started doing work with them. And the kind of work we did with them was all around uh, developing ourselves, not only ourselves, but it led us into uh, to really wanting to develop all of our employees. And when I say develop, I mean everybody, whether they stay for 30 years or whether they stay for three months, <clears throat> when they leave, they've learned things and they're better off and mm-hmm. more capable going forward than That's they great. were before. That's great. So. So tell me about this, the server love. When, that, when someone came up with that statement, why did that resonate with you so much? One of the things that I 
came to in my development work with the Taylor Group was my own purpose in life. And my purpose, I came to the decision that my purpose in life was connecting souls to God's love, period. Good. And I thought, wow, I've got all these employees working in our company. I've got a great field to work in with this mission of uh, this, my purpose. Mm-hmm. And I, so I stuck on that purpose ever since. And so I was there before our marketing director came up with the idea of server love. That's why it connected so much with me. Mm-hmm. And I connected uh, very much uh, with the, the, all four of us at that time. The reason why that mission statement meant so much to you is because it was personal. It was really authentic to who you were. Yeah. Not just something that you're coming up with for just based on what, you know, working with these coaches and coming up with something that has a more of a businessy angle, but it's yeah. really about reaching the person. Yeah. It starts with the employee, which then when the, when the employees feel served and served with love from the management team and leadership, uh-huh. then in extension, they will then give that. It's easier for them to give that to the customers. Absolutely. So then when it talks to, even when you talk about George's original mission statement about meet guest expectations and then you saying exceed guest expectations, well, it was all kind of a similar mission, but because the servant love actually created more depth and more authenticity so that to be able to exceed guest expectations just came out of the, just the genuine love and trust that the employees already had that wanted to give to the customers. Yeah, you know, it's really uh, interesting, Robert, because, you know, our, our focus initially around that was simply to serve our guests. Mm-hmm. And and uh, if we served them with love, we would be successful. And that was how we started. And that mm-hmm. was where our focus was. But it didn't take us very long to realize, wait a minute, mm-hmm. we've got over a thousand employees out there by then. And they're the ones that are serving our guests, not us. Mm-hmm. And how can they really understand and serve with love if they are not served with love? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we then had to, uh, we moved our well, we had to include into our focus our employees, obviously, and that started us on a different kind of a journey of, around that. And we we were one of the first restaurant companies to put into a place a health care plan for our employees. That uh, in those days it was you know something that restaurants just didn't do they couldn't afford it but we did we saw the need and we put it in play and we found a way to make it work <laughs> wow yeah well that's no that's great so just you know your mission statement is what i would call also a purpose statement i mean it's really the driving force yeah for the company yeah and and, and the journey continues because i mean it was so there was a lot of focus on on our employees and there still is there's a lot of things nowadays in the world that's changed so much mm-hmm. that uh, the, uh, the, we need to be taken into consideration around our employees. Well, you know, uh, beyond healthcare, I mean, employees can't afford uh, housing. We've got employees that are living in cars, mm-hmm. things like that. We can't have that. We've got to yeah. be able to figure out a way to to resolve those things. And so we're continuing on that. But we also have taken it out beyond our employees to our uh, suppliers and our vendors mm-hmm. because. Mm-hmm. We want them to be thriving, just like we feel like everyone needs to thrive. So we need to have our vendors uh, thriving. So we've got involved in a lot of areas around uh, working with our, whether it be ranchers or farmers or or uh, whoever's making our ice cream for us, mm-hmm. all those people we care about. And, That's great. Uh, yeah. So, so this mission statement, this servant love, I think what's beautiful about it 
is that it's kind of it's very comprehensive. It doesn't it's not just about your customers, it's not just about your employees, but it's really about how you deal with all your stakeholders. Yes. Right? Your vendors and, and yes. every, everybody, everybody that you touch or everybody that the business touches at some point. And your what your community? Is that what you're yeah, our communities, yeah. wherever our restaurants are. Um, yeah. 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 So that's great. I mean, it's a great mission statement. It's a great purpose statement. And from, and when you're, and what I like to say is that when you're focused on living out your mission or living out your purpose, business part just takes care of itself because there's just so much great goodwill and, and, and brand equity that you establish with your customers and even your vendors that really positively impacts your business. That comes back to your business in a positive way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so really I like to say is your, your brand is really built around your mission statement. Because yeah. people are feeling their your customers really experience that servant love. Yeah. Because your employees experience that from you and the leadership, it's easy for the employees then to give that to the customers, right? Right. Like you said earlier, when you were just saying, okay, employees, we got to serve and love our customers. But if they don't feel it from you yeah. and the leadership team, it's hard for them to give that love, right? That's right. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so everything starts from the top. So I think this is a great example, a great illustration for all businesses is to have a mission and a purpose that's true and authentic to you. Because then it's easy for you to live out the mission, right? If, if the mission yeah. statement was based on what the coach's recommendations were, but it wasn't. It didn't resonate with you. It's really hard to give that, right? Most companies, unfortunately, have their mission statements are paragraphs long that nobody mm-hmm. can remember. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so one of the things our coaches taught us early on was a mission statement really needs to be fairly short. Not three words is about as short as you can get it. But you know, but whatever people's missions are, it really needs to tie in with why what their purpose is in mm-hmm. life. Yeah, yeah. I mentioned 3% earlier. Well, I think uh, that I've heard that of the population of people, only about 3% even have an idea of what their purpose is or mm. even thought about why <laughs> they're here and what they're going to accomplish. So, That's an interesting yeah. parallel to <laughs> longevity of a business, right? Yeah. So, yeah, if you have a genuine purpose statement and, purpose and genuine mission, then uh, you're on your way to living out a very uh, great multi generational uh, legacy building business. Well, an interesting thing, and I'll, I'll just throw this out for everybody who's listening, is that uh, you know Nehemiah Project has picked up Serve with Love and is mm-hmm. running powerfully with it, and, and taking me along for the ride too. But, <laughs> uh, so, and I've always said that this mission is bigger than our company. And this yeah, mission yeah. is bigger, actually, even than Nehemiah. Yeah. And if anybody's interested out there. Join us. <laughs> it's not like you can't use server love as a, as a mission if you want to. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not so, saying you have to, but I'm just saying I'm spreading the love. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for joining us, Tom. I, I hate to have to end this, but definitely yeah. we'll, we'll do this again for sure. Um, and, and talking about uh, spreading the love, how can they stay in touch or learn more about you or Burgerville or the mission? What's a good way for them to, to learn more about you? Learn more. Well, a good way to learn about uh, what's going on. Huh? Well, uh, there's the book, Serve with Love, number yeah, one. That's available on Amazon. <laughs> I think there's more books coming, by the way. Yeah, yeah you can buy the book, and, and uh, that's one way. But that would just give you sort of the history a bit. Now we got to look forward and where we're going, what's next. So, uh, obviously, you can reach, if you want, you can reach out to me on uh, email at tomm at theholandinc.com. Uh, that's T-H-E-H-O-L-L-A-N-D-I-N-C.com. That's the parent company. 
still. Okay. Um, and you can reach out to me there or you can call me, whatever. Oh, uh, man, watch out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, great. Well, Tom, once again, thanks for joining us. It was a great conversation. I really enjoyed uh, talking to you more about this. And like I said, we'll definitely do this again. So, um, Thank you once again for listening to Purpose and Profitability Podcasts. If you have a business question or even a topic that you want to hear about or hear more about, especially like if you want to hear more about Tom, um, let me know. And you can certainly email me at prosper at i61businessdevelopment.com. That's prosper at the letter I, the number 61, businessdevelopment.com. Or go to the Facebook page, Purpose and Profitability. And then Tune in next week as I'm going to unpack how to build a real brand. And I think this uh, conversation with Tom is a great launching point to that. Um, so I'm going to unpack a little bit more of that next week, uh, next episode. So thank you for listening. This is Robert Fakui. And remember, purpose plus profit equals transformation. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast. For more information, please visit purposeandprofit.com.